This is Husker Sports Network Originals, presented by JTEC Construction, the official exterior experts of Husker Nation. Husker Sports Network Originals tell iconic stories from Husker history, featuring insights from the players and coaches who live them. Subscribe to the Husker Sports Network on your favorite podcast service. And now, featuring Fred, Hoiberg's path to Lincoln. Obviously, my family has a lot of history in in this state and especially in this community. And, you know, when I look back to my grandparents, you know, a lot has been written about my grandpa Bush, who was the head coach here for nine seasons, you know, has the best win in the program's history with the win over Will Chamberlain's Kansas team. You know, my grandpa Hoiberg was a sociology professor here for 30 years at the University of Nebraska. My parents both went to Nebraska. My dad got his Ph.D. here in 1974, and that's when he got the job at Iowa State and moved our family to Ames. So we do have a lot of history here. I would always come back for holidays to Lincoln. I was a diehard Nebraska football fan growing up. So, you know, the connections were, uh, you know, something that initially drew me to this job when, when the job did open up. And there were some other very intriguing situations out there. The thing that I just kept going back to is the situation just felt right. Well, welcome, everybody. This is a special and exciting day for the University of Nebraska, and uh, especially for me because I have the honor and privilege to introduce a 28th head coach of Husker basketball, Fred Hoiberg. When Fred Hoiberg's name was first floated out as the man who could potentially become the next Nebraska head basketball coach, it hardly felt like a realistic possibility, maybe even a pie-in-the-sky dream to fans. Fred Hoiberg was a nationally recognized name in the basketball world. He had a basketball pedigree that far surpassed anything the Big Red had ever achieved on the hardwood. However, in the spring of 2019, Bill Moose and Nebraska made it happen hiring Hoiberg and setting the Nebraska men's basketball program on a new trajectory. Hoiberg has quite a difficult path ahead of him, tasked with nothing less than putting Nebraska basketball on the map. Coach Hoiberg, though, is no stranger to breathing new life in a program, having done the same thing with his alma mater, the Iowa State Cyclones. This is Featuring Fred, Hoiberg's Path to Lincoln, a Husker Sports Originals podcast. I'm Ben McLaughlin. We begin with Iowa State radio analyst Eric Heft, who had a chance to see the start of Fred's career. Arnie Gardy was an assistant coach when I came to Iowa State, and he remained in Ames. And he told me when Fred, I suppose Fred would have been maybe eighth grade or so, he said, hey, we got a guy here at Ames who's going to be a really good player. And we've all heard that kind of thing before. But as I watched him come through Ames High, it was like, wow, uh, he's really good and One of the big days in Johnny Orr's career was when Fred said he was going to stay home and play for the Cyclones. People always talk about his offense, but I think it was the second game of his career. We were down in Puerto Rico, and he set the school record with seven steals. I think he reverted back to his uh, non-defensive self after that uh, (laughs) because he never approached that again. 
Uh, but I tell you, he was a clutch player. I remember his senior year, we're playing a really good Kansas team, a top five team. And I think he scored our last 15 points uh, to win the game, a very tight game, but just clutch. But he delivered and he, he, was, he was terrific in that regard and fun to watch play. So before I had ever seen Fred Hoiberg take a shot, I knew about his nickname, the mayor. That's Teddy Greenstein, a former reporter from the Chicago Tribune, now with Points Bet Sportsbook. It was just one of those things that it seemed so perfect for him and it piqued all of our curiosity. I was a reporter at Sports Illustrated in the mid 90s out of college and we were always looking for sort of interesting college basketball nuggets. And I remember hearing about this guy, the mayor, the mayor from Ames and then the kind of guy who every single person in the town knew. So that nickname, I think, was uh, was one of the best there ever was in basketball. Our mayor at the time was a guy by the name of Larry Curtis. Uh, he was a professor at Iowa State, but also a mayor of Ames. And uh, it was basically him who came up with it. Somebody called him mayor. And after Fred had really played great early in his career, he said, hey, I'm not the mayor. Uh, Fred Hoiberg is the mayor. He's the one he's the one that everybody loves. And how true, <laughs> how true. Gentlemen, I've coached for 43 years, 29 years as a head basketball coach in Division I in the United States, and Freddie Hoiberg is the greatest athlete I've ever coached. Hoiberg triple top step for two! Fred Hoiberg needs to touch it. Somehow he needs to go on his hand. He's got it on the double screen and a shot away. A three. Iowa State by two, a minute five to play. And Hoiberg has just reached back and jerked his cyclones right back into this ballgame. The fans love him. He had a great career in Ames High School. He, he's a class individual. Now they call him the mayor. The mayor of Ames. Guy known as the mayor, Fred Hoiberg, does everything well, or seems to anyway, from the classroom to the court. There he goes, the mayor. Listen to the roar. Fred Hoiberg had a historic career at Iowa State. To this day, Hoiberg is still in the top 10 in nearly every statistical category in team history. His number 32 was even retired by the Cyclones shortly after his playing career was over. Naturally, Hoiberg was destined to make it in the next level, and in 1995, was drafted 52nd overall by the Indiana Pacers in the NBA draft. Hoiberg played for Indiana for four years before signing with the Chicago Bulls as a free agent. Then, in 2003, Fred signed with the Minnesota Timberwolves, where he discovered that he would have to cut his professional career short. The way I found out about it, I went in for a life insurance exam. We talked to our financial advisor. We were setting up our kids' college education funds. And one thing that they talked to my wife and I about was trying to get some additional life insurance or to get some additional life insurance. We'd had twins, uh, which gave us four kids. And it went in for the insurance policy. And part of the trying to get the policy was doing a, a physical. And they did an echo on me. And they rejected me for that policy. And this was in January. I feel very fortunate that I did find out because the doctors told me 
that I was one significant blow away in the chest area from my aorta rupturing. And once that happens, there's not a lot you can do when the largest blood vessel in your body gets cut open like that. The discovery put an end to Fred's playing days, but it wasn't the end of the road for his career in basketball altogether, as the Timberwolves invited Hoiberg to stay on and transition into a managerial role with the franchise. When they offered me that position in the front office, I felt really fortunate to get that. And, you know, I ascended my way up the ladder to where I was the assistant general manager. And then in my fourth and fifth years in the front office, I became the vice president of basketball operations. And that was a great position. Pretty much every day, my job was to call other general managers and to talk about trades, talk about roster moves. I was in charge of putting together the largest draft workout in the NBA. I actually worked with a guy named Gerson Rosas, who worked for the Houston Rockets, who was now the general manager for the Timberwolves. But we would put this workout together, and all 30 teams would attend the workout in Minnesota. So it really was a great experience. You know, I'll say this, when I was in the front office, the one thing that I really missed was being on the floor with the players. I actually did some player development stuff with a couple of the guys, Corey Brewer, who we drafted, uh, Kevin Love, who we drafted. I would go down and, and get shooting workouts with those guys, and I loved it. The wheels were in motion for change beginning in Ames, as there was some movement in their coaching staff. What a difference a couple of weeks makes. After seeing Wesley Johnson, Lucas Steiger, Justin Hamilton, Chris Colvin, Dominique Buckley, and others leave the Iowa State program before their eligibility expired, Greg McDermott decided to pull up stakes as well. Mack today announcing he was leaving Iowa State to take the head coaching spot at Creighton University in Omaha. It was an unbelievably hard decision. Uh, I've had you know, two in-person meetings with Jamie the last, uh, the last couple days and several phone conversations. Uh, you know, the emotional attachment that I have uh, to this place and the people I work with, the people I coach, uh, the people I work for, and a lot of great friends we have here makes it tough to leave. That, and I, and I don't feel like I finished a job. The Iowa State job opening up was too enticing to pass up for Hoiberg, who seized the opportunity to get into coaching. Help me in please welcoming Fred Hoiberg back as our next head coach. In year five, we actually had the uh, set up very well. We had four first-round draft picks. We had a ton of salary cap space. I got a call from Jamie Pollard, who was the athletic director at Iowa State, and he kind of laid out a scenario of what potentially could happen. And he said, Greg McDermott, who, you know, I developed a very good relationship with Greg when I was in the front office and he was coaching at Iowa State, but he had mentioned that he got approached by Creighton on a long-term contract and he thought that he would take it. So he said if he did accept the position, would I have interest in going to Iowa State and getting into coaching? And I said, absolutely. It's one of the things that I really enjoyed when I was going on the road, scouting, going to practices, is I took notes on what I liked in practices, certain coaches, what they did, how they approached their players, you know, the practice plan, because I did want to get into coaching. So when I got the phone call from Jamie Pollard, I said, absolutely, just tell me when and where and I'll be there. And he was up at my house in Chaska, Minnesota, Greg McDermott, accepted the position at Creighton. Jamie Pollard was at my house that next day. We met for three hours, and I laid out a vision that he was comfortable with. I thought I did a solid job in the interview, maybe get a second one on campus, but he hired me right there on the spot. So, you know, it was for somebody to take that chance, hiring somebody that had no coaching experience at a Power 5 level, you know, was a very risky hire. But, you know, I put a great staff around me, well, he, he, something he'd been preparing for throughout his uh, days in the NBA. Uh, he wanted to be a coach. 
Again, Iowa State radio broadcaster Eric Heft. You know, he had the opportunity, well, first of all, playing for Johnny Orr, and then Tim Floyd for his senior year, and then Larry Brown. He was around a lot of guys. He asked a lot of questions, and he developed a real coaching philosophy based on that. And, you know, we were excited to have him, but to be honest, he had no coaching experience. Uh, he was you know, certainly a big name in Iowa, and, and for all Iowa State fans, he's still the beloved son. But you're always a little worried about you know, what he was going to be able to do. We knew year one would be a little bit lean, not having a lot of eligible players, but we had four high-level kids sitting out, led by Royce White, who ended up being almost a lottery pick in the NBA, uh, and also Chris Babb, who played in the NBA, Chris Allen, who was a really highly ranked player, played at Michigan State, and then Anthony Booker, who was a big guy that could knock down shots. That scout team that first year was really fun to watch, and I knew in year two we would take a big jump. And then we went to four straight NCAA tournaments after that. But, you know, it, it really was a great opportunity and situation for me going to my alma mater and, uh, you know, taking that program to where it would never been before. You know, you have to try and put a group together that fits the philosophy of the coach. And, you know, the good thing about college is you basically get your own players. Where in the NBA, uh, you know, the front office – kicks the players, the front office gets the free agents, and then the coach, uh, you know, has to be in charge of putting the pieces together on the floor. So, you know, with, with the group we put together, you know, to try to get better in a hurry, uh, where we could compete against the Kansases and the Texases in those types of schools, we went the transfer route early. Once we got into the NCAA tournament and, you know, won a Big 12 championship tournament title, you know, we attracted a lot of high school players, you know, pretty similar to, you know, the route that we are going with here at Nebraska. And, you know, those four-year guys, George Niang, Monte Morris, Matt Thomas, uh, Naz Long, Melvin Edgem, you know, guys that all pretty much made it in the NBA, you know, was something that we really kind of had our foundation. So, you know, the thing that we did, kind of the blueprint that we put together was to have a good mix of transfers, junior college players, and four-year players. And, you know, when you do that, you put the right mix together, not only do you get better in a hurry, but I think you stay, you can stay consistent. You can stay on the right track because of those four-year players in your program. One thing we're really proud of in our time at Iowa State, in those five years, we had 10 of our guys that ended up reaching and playing in the NBA. And that's, that's a great thing when you can see those guys have that type of success and live out a dream. You know, the route that we ended up taking, and this is where Matt Abdelmasi came into play. He was a guy that I brought with me. Bobby Lutz, who's a special assistant here, was also a guy that helped me learn the ropes very quickly. He had just had 12 very good successful years at University of Charlotte, you know, and gave me a voice that had been through a lot of different scenarios. TJ in the recruiting, uh, you know, Matt, who had a ton of connections and really helped get us into that transfer market that gave us so much success. So, you know, that was just the route that we decided to go. Were we the first to take transfers at a high level like that? No, but you know, I think we were one of the first that kind of built our roster up that way. You know, now you're seeing it all over the place. Every team is taking, you know, two or three or four transfers a year and building their roster with it. If you, do, if you don't look at that market and that pool, you're taking out a big chunk of, you know, what, what you could look at to put together a successful roster. And you can look at the players that we brought into Nebraska in year one with Delano Banton, with Shamil Stevenson, with Derek Walker three guys that we feel really good about having major roles on our team moving forward, and then having players that came in as transfers this year with Trey McGowans, uh, with Teddy Allen being a, a junior college transfer, with Lat Mann being a junior college transfer. So, 
you know, we feel good about the guys that we have coming in. Trevor Lakes is a, a guy that played Division II basketball that I think will be the best shooter on our roster next year. You know, now we're getting the four-year guys. You know, Wilhelm Breidenbach uh, was a great pickup for us out of high school. And now with the news of getting Bryce McGowans, uh, the first five-star uh, recruit in the history of the program, uh, we feel really, really good about our future. With that kind of quality of recruiting, I thought he had a good chance. And man, that first year, he bit the bullet. A roster was depleted, and he had four sit-out transfers and really revolutionized college basketball in the way the transfer market has worked uh, ever since. Uh, but he brought in four players, Royce White, Anthony Booker, Chris Babb, and Chris Allen. And they'd all you know, were guys that were terrific players. And the next year, uh, we make the NCAA tournament for the first time in about you know nine years. It was, it was fantastic and fun to watch. And the 2011-2012 season, Hoiberg's Cyclones finished with a 23-11 record, earning them a berth in the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2005. They won nine more games than the year before, the largest season-to-season improvement in Big 12 history. In 2013-2014, Coach Hoiberg's coaching efforts culminated in a magical tournament run which saw the Cyclones make their way into the Sweet 16. A comeback win for a very efficient comeback team, Iowa State. Just like his playing days at Iowa State, Fred's coaching success with the Cyclones caught the attention of the NBA. In 2015, an opportunity opened up for Hoiberg when one of his former franchises, the Chicago Bulls, fired their head coach, Tom Thibodeau. So Tom Thibodeau was this dominant personality, and he had a great regular season record, but the knock on him is that he wore his players into the ground, that he, he cared way too much about regular season victories, and you know it would be the final regular season game of the year, and he's playing Joakim Noah 43 minutes because he's trying to win you know, the 52nd game of the year. And we're all like, what's the deal here? So, you know, they played great defense. I think they had terrific rosters. And Tibbs really was a dominant personality, both for the good and the bad. He had a lot of uh, guys who supported him and he had a lot of detractors. There was some, you know, some meanness and some coldness to Tom Thibodeau, where folks below him and above him were thrilled when he was ousted. So in typical sports fashion, the Bulls go for the exact opposite of Tom Thibodeau. They go for somebody who is one of the nicest people on the planet. They go for a guy who the sense of it is he's more likely to have a 45-minute practice than a two-hour and 45-minute practice, that he's going to be able to pace his guys and that they're never going to complain about being overworked because Fred knows what it was like to play at every level, and you're not going to get the most from your guys if they're exhausted all the time. You know, as far as how the pro interest started. I had gotten calls, you know, really starting in year three, you know, from certain organizations and asked if I was interested in talking about the job. You know, the, the organizations that were calling were in rebuilding situations. You know, I got a couple calls from others, but, you know, I probably got calls from 10 or 11 NBA teams inquiring interest in their job. You know, if the right one came calling, I was going to listen. And that's when, you know, when Chicago came on, when they made their coaching change, you know, I thought it was a situation we could walk into. You look at Chicago as a, a you know, the third largest market in the NBA, uh, a free agent destination. 
obviously winning the six championships and having a lot of tradition and a place that I played and two of our kids were born in Chicago and a place that we were comfortable. So, you know, when, when that situation came calling, we ended up jumping at it. Uh, you know, it's, it was something that I wanted to, you know, have the opportunity to do is get to the highest level, get to the pinnacle of the profession. I think it, it, the town was still split. Half of Chicago, at least half, I should say, was saying, wait a second, you got rid of Tibbs? You know, look at what he did for the city. He got the Bulls, you know, close to an NBA title. If Derrick Rose doesn't get hurt, the Bulls win at all. So I think a lot of people were, were miffed and they were blaming uh, Gar Pax, uh, Gar Foreman and John Paxson for the demise rather than Tom Thibodeau. I was on the other end. I was saying Tibbs had to go. You know, these guys were, were underperforming in the postseason year after year. And I thought it was it was largely Tibbs's fault because he was so determined to win all these regular season games. So when Fred Hoiberg comes in, he's got this roster that, you know, half of them are still Tibbs guys. And then they're trying to change stuff up and trying to, uh, you know, create a new culture. Very, very tough for a, a first time NBA coach. He, he was thrown into a, a pretty brutal spot. And yet they went 42 and 40. I mean, that first season was, was pretty good. I was put in a lot of different positions, taking over a veteran team, you know, that kind of had a shift in power from Derrick Rose and Joakim Noah, who were really great leaders for that franchise. Uh, and then this, the ascension of Jimmy Butler, uh, you know, as he kind of came in, you know, to his superstar play. So, you know, year one was, you know, a year where we had a lot of adversity. We actually led the NBA in a category you don't want to lead the NBA in, and that was injuries. Uh, we missed the playoffs by a game. Year two, you know, we brought in Dwayne Wade, Rajon Rondo, and we ended up making the playoffs and, and got off to a great start where we had the Celtics down 2 nothing in, in round one, and Rajon Rondo ended up breaking his thumb, and he was our advantage in that series. He was had almost two triple doubles in those first two games. I think had he stayed healthy, you know, I think we, we had a, a good chance to have a deep playoff run that year, but you know, things happen. Fred was very, very businesslike, but but a pleasure to be around. And and I would say one other thing, that, and this probably needs to be included because this was such a huge moment in his first season in 2015. You know, Jimmy Butler, uh, after a loss to the Knicks, says the following, I believe we have to be coached a lot harder at times. I'm sorry. I know Fred's a laid back guy and I really respect him for that. But when guys aren't doing what they're supposed to do, you got to get on guys, myself included. That was a huge moment in, in Fred's tenure with the Bulls. It kind of set a tone among the fans and maybe even management that he wasn't that hard on the guys, maybe wasn't hard enough on the guys. And I think that was tough for Fred to overcome. It's like whenever he got a technical foul in, in a game, it felt like breaking news, you know, like the chillest cat is actually upset enough to get a technical. And I think that became a narrative where whenever you know, the team was sloppy, people said, oh, he's not tough enough on them. This kind of elegant, good-looking character, looks great, and never seems to get flustered, and as much of an artist as anything else. You know, I, would inter I interviewed somebody a couple years later, a player you might remember named Will Clyburn. Will played for Fred at Iowa State, and he said something to me. He said, nobody on the planet has better in-game quick hitters. So Fred, to me, was you know, viewed as the master of getting guys open for a free shot. The problem is, if you don't have the guys who can hit the shots, <laughs> the plays don't work as well. And you know, his Bulls tenure was just characterized by you know, these really uneven rosters where 
you know, one year it's, it's the alphas and you've got, you know, Jimmy Butler, who is an amazing player, but not a great long-term shooter, a long range shooter. And uh, Rajon Rondo, who, you know, wants to have the ball in his hands a lot and has a lot of skills, but offense really isn't one of them. Certainly not uh, offense outside of about 10 feet. So it was just such a mismatch, really, between coach and roster where you just felt like, my God, if Fred had the guys to, to space out, if he could do the, the pace and space thing in the NBA, it was going to be different than it turned out. I mean, it, it wasn't his fault. I mean, if you look at his second team, that 2016-17 team, they were going to win a playoff series, and then Rajon Rondo got hurt. And then year four, four of our top six were hurt to begin that year. And when those guys started getting healthy, I was let go. And it was a very difficult thing, you know, the first time that something like that had ever happened to me. And it was difficult to come to grips with. Uh, you know, there's a lot of sleepless nights involved with that. Why, why did it happen? You know, when he got fired, it was a mild surprise just because that season started out, you know, the injuries were just such a joke. I mean, we're talking about Larry Markin, Bobby Portis, Denzel Valentine, Chris Dunn. You know, all those guys were out for a sustained period of time. They're only 24 games into the season in 2018, and management, you know, simply ran out of patience and pulled the plug on an unfortunate day, on the day that happened to be um, Fred's wife's Carol's birthday. So I remember that being a, a bummer that day on top of the firing itself. You know, I wasn't one of those guys that said I didn't do anything wrong. You know, I, I, I got screwed. I was one of those guys that looked back on everything and said, what could I have done better? You know, I used that time to go out on the road and see other coaches and try to pick things up. So I became a better coach. Fred's brief tenure as an NBA head coach ended in bitter disappointment. But when one door shuts, another one opens. Nebraska Athletic Director Bill Moose saw Fred Hoiberg as a perfect fit to take on the Husker men's basketball job to fill the vacancy left by outgoing coach Tim Miles. I've been impressed with Fred Hoiberg uh, going way back to when he was coaching at Iowa State. I knew that he had uh, family from here in Lincoln, uh, and I knew that his grandfather had been the head coach, Jerry Bush. So there were a lot of things that fit. What I needed to find out in regards to Fred was whether he had an interest in getting back into the college game, and if he did, if he would be intrigued by what we're doing here at Nebraska in the bigger picture in intercollegiate athletics. And as it turned out, we had a couple of very good conversations on the phone. And uh, then I went to see him in person uh, at his home in Chicago. And not unlike uh, when I met with Scott Frost and Will Bolt and others, it just felt good. We connected and uh, he was excited about what we were building and certainly the facilities that we have. And I could tell that he was eager to get back into the college game. He had scratched that itch in the NBA. Uh, and yet his experience in the NBA as a player, as a coach, and in, as a, a front office administrator has been, and I knew it would be very helpful, especially in the recruiting aspect of his job. Very logical because, um, you know, Nebraska has that homey atmosphere. Fred obviously has all those family connections to the program. You know, I've not been to Ames, but when I picture Ames, it's a little bit like Lincoln, Nebraska. And you're talking about even though, you know, men's basketball at Nebraska has hardly been a behemoth, an amazing arena, terrific fans, 
you know, Bill Moose and AD who can get it done, a top flight salary. So absolutely. Uh, the only question was, was Fred Hoiberg willing to recruit? And obviously it, it's, it's more brutal than ever being a college basketball coach because, you know, you've got massive roster turnaround every year. It's not like, okay, I'll just find two or three good players and then I'm set. You know, Fred ha- had to find how many good players, how many players his first year, about eight or nine guys. And then you've got to keep them. Uh, because, you know, the ones that aren't playing much are going to transfer. So when you come from the NBA and you've been a guy who, you know, the game ends and you can just get on your chartered flight and then you go to your Ritz-Carlton, that's a really good life. Was Fred Hoiberg going to be willing to, you know, beat the bushes and do all the things you need to do to construct a roster? But the fact that he was, he was willing to do that meant, yeah, another great uh, fit for him. Some people said, how could he do that? Well, what was he supposed to do? He wants to coach? And I think most fans knew or, or certainly should have known that Fred has some real ties uh, to the University of Nebraska in, in Lincoln in, in particular. You know, you want to get back into coaching, you're going to be in a really good league back where you were born. Man, there were, your grandfather was the head coach there. Why wouldn't you think that's great? And I think if you appreciate what Fred did for Iowa State, why would you begrudge him any career moves when it's something that he wants to do? He gave his all for Iowa State, and I think the vast majority of Iowa State people you know, feel that way. I mean, some of them have a hard time uh, rooting for Nebraska. I get that, but they'll root for Fred forever. The first building block to any new head coach is hiring a coaching staff. One member, Armand Gates, was already wearing the scarlet and cream. Coach Miles is very generous. He reached out to me and, and talked to me about a lot of the people on his staff that, uh, that he felt would be good people to keep on. And Armand was one of those. And he just said, you're not going to find a more energetic, more positive person that connects with the players, you know, better than Coach Gates. And he was 100% right. He's done a a great job of kind of heading our player development program. He gets the guys in here at all times of the day, generally starting at 7 a.m. And then he'll come back uh, in the evening and, and work out with those guys. But, you know, I've been really impressed with the way that he can connect with our guys. So, you know, plus it's always good to have somebody that knows you know everything about it here so to have doc uh, and armand here has been a great benefit i was very fortunate to work with doc at iowa state and doc was at kansas as bill self's ops guy after he was let go here at nebraska so you know i got to know doc pretty well at that time actually we scrimmaged doc it was my second year at iowa state i think it was his last year at Nebraska and went out to dinner with him the night before the game. And, and that's where I really started to get to know Doc Sadler and just the type of person that he is. I was always a big fan of his. You know, my first game in the Big 12 was against Doc at the Devaney Center, and they ended up beating us. Lance Jeter hit a free throw with 0.3 seconds left to beat us by one. We beat them in overtime on the last game of the year. When he went to Kansas, you know, I would always see him and talk to him before the games and really inquired about Doc getting back into coaching and was very fortunate to bring him on board. And he was a big part of the success that we had at Iowa State. Obviously, he knows the landscape here as much as anybody. Uh, Having spent seven years as the head coach, you know, knows what it takes. He was one of the top defensive minds in the game. Uh, And I I feel very fortunate to have Doc on my staff. First and foremost, uh, he's just an unbelievable person. That starts anything, uh, you know, I don't mean this wrong because I've been very fortunate to work for a lot of great guys, and and I would not have left a head coaching position to come back and work for a bad person. So I knew what kind of person he was. I knew how it was to work for him. 
not only is he a good person to work for, but what makes him a good person is that you know that he cares about the kids. And like I say, he has unbelievable patience with them. And uh, it's just, a you know, as good a person as he is, he's that good of a coach. And it's just fun to be around each and every day. Husker Sports Network Originals are presented by JTEC Construction, the official exterior experts of Husker Nation. Find out more about this great Husker partner at JTECONST.com. Now back to featuring Fred, Hoiberg's path to Lincoln. I guess the first time I ever met him would have been in a summer conference, Big 12 uh, coaching uh, meeting. And then obviously, you know, I didn't see him again until we played him. I think we played him at our place first. And it's funny because, you know, I always studied the other team and a lot of things that they run. And they ran a special play. He called it Pacer. And I called it Cyclone because I got it from Fred. Uh, and so we started the second half and got a layup against him. I looked down to the other end. He looked at me, and I can't repeat what he said, but that's the, you know, competing against him and things like that was the first time I ever met him. So Matt uh, is one of the best, and I'm thankful that I'm with him. Uh, you know, we gave Matt an opportunity with the Timberwolves when he came on as an intern, and I saw right away how good he was building relationships. He and Kevin Love were incredibly tight, you know, just seeing how he could connect with the players. So when I got that first coaching job at Iowa State, really Matt was the first guy that I brought with me. Well, I think more than anything, uh, you know, Matt Abdomasi does almost all, if not all, the recruiting right now. And he, even though maybe he was new for Nebraska, he was used to recruiting to Fred Horberg and knows what coach wants. Uh, having someone that is as close to coach as he is and knows what he wants, it really, uh, you know, it speeds up the process. And so I think probably of all the things that you can talk about, that's probably one of the things that's most important is he knows what type of player can play for coach, what coach wants, and he'll do a great job of getting those kind of guys in here. With the coaching staff in place, next up was assembling the roster. The Huskers had experienced plenty of attrition when Miles was let go and had even more players depart after Hoiberg was hired. So Fred began his roster rebuild by turning to the transfer market, just like he did at Iowa State, opting to bring in graduate transfer Hanif Cheatham from Florida Gulf Coast University. You know, when I got when I committed, it was it was me, Thor was on the team, and Burke was on the team. So it was three roster spots, and I knew, we, okay, we need about 11 more roster spots. So um, as I was home, you know, I just kept seeing the Instagram post, seeing the Instagram post, Matt calling me, telling me, hey, look, we got this guy, we got this guy. And, um, you know, and, and that's how I met my teammates first um, off Instagram. Um, you know, just seeing them commit, uh, seeing the Husker Hoops page, post them, and, um, you know, just just following the guys. And then, you know, I didn't, we didn't, I didn't really know none of them until I got back on campus, which is around June, July. And um, it, it, we've been we've teammates ever since. People don't realize at this particular level, that the recruiting is usually done a year or two in advance. And then when you make a coaching change in the spring, like we did with the turnover that we had, sometimes it's hard to get enough players that can compete at this level. I think uh, Matt and Coach and him did an excellent job of getting what we were able to get. But the fact of the matter is uh, we just didn't have enough. We wanted to try and get a couple older players in here. And, uh, you know, we needed leadership, we felt. So 
you know, to go out and get a couple players that were going into their last year, uh, we felt was very important part of the process. Uh, you know, those guys have been through the battles. They've been coached hard, you know, so they can help navigate some of the, you know, ups and downs that especially the younger players on your roster are going to go through because they've experienced it. Hanif was phenomenal for us last year. He really did help guys like Ivan, you know, help some of the younger players, you know, go through some of those tough times that they experience. You know, it's it's something where I'm very thankful for those guys. You know, the first class is always an important one. You know, you want to have some toughness for those guys to help lay the foundation for your program. Hoiberg's first season as head coach of the Huskers had some highs. Nebraska leads it by 9, 63-54, long three by Wheeler, missed it. Rebound by Cam Mack, he got hit in the draw. He comes back with a loose ball somehow. Here comes Cam Mack. He wisely leaves it off, Burn! Highlight field, top ten, here it comes, unbelievable! What, what a play! Mack got popped after getting the rebound, somehow blindly found Burke. They were like twins in the womb there, they knew what they were doing, and Burke gets the slam Ola. 65-54, Nebraska by 11, he faces the floor, they'll let Cheatham throw it in, over the defense to Burke, Burke to the goal, dunks it, got it, Thunder dunk! And one exclamation point, pump the brakes. The Huskers are up 72 to 66. What a great play on the inbounds pass, 94 feet away. Put that dude on a poster. And a fair few lows. 20 seconds left to go in the ball game, and Nebraska is going to have an 18 game home opening winning streak snapped here at the beginning of 2019 2020. As UC Riverside comes in here out of the Big West Conference and pulls off a big, big win on the road. And there's the horn, and there's the game. Final score from Pinnacle Bank Arena, UC Riverside 66, Nebraska 47. Thorbjarnison in the Mac. Mac across the timeline. He'll get a decent look here. Bumped, puts it up, can't score it. That's it. Nebraska loses in double overtime. Cam Mack with a running floater off the back of the backboard and then it dripped off the front of the rim and no good as Nebraska bows in double overtime losing at home to Southern Utah this afternoon 79 to 78. Brian Greenlee with that last three here's a drive inside and a lay in by Trey Williams for his second and third points. A timeout by Richard Patino to put the rest of his guys on the floor that have been sitting on the bench. As the Huskers go drop to seven and twenty-four on the year, finish Big Ten play at two and eighteen, headed to Indianapolis in the Big Ten tournament on Wednesday. There's the horn, there's the game. It was Minnesota 107, Nebraska 75. Again, it's it's not too different from the year one at Iowa State. We won a few more games at Iowa State. We were actually 16 and 16 uh, in year one, but we only won three conference games. We had a really good non-conference portion of the schedule, but only won three in the Big 12. So similar to our situation here, you know, we took over a program that we knew in year one would be difficult. So, you know, I. I don't get too down about it because, again, like I talked about, the thing we wanted to do was establish a style of play that we felt could have long-term success. Well, probably uh, patience. You know, everybody wants a quick fix. 
you know, when I was here before, I got the job two days before school started. And people don't realize that that year is pretty much a wasted year in recruiting. So this time when I came back, that was one of the things I talked to coach about. The The biggest mistake you can make, in my opinion, in a place like this is everybody wants a quick fix. There's no such thing as a quick fix. You just got to make progress. And, uh, and so patience would be the thing that I think maybe I learned and then also tried to share with uh, the rest of the coaches uh, with my experiences. Although the Huskers have already had to overcome a fair amount of adversity, with Hoiberg at the helm, it's safe to say the outlook of the program is looking bright. They've been working their tails off. It's a group that loves to compete. It's what I like most about this group is, is uh, you know, their competitive nature and their competitive spirit. But, you know, it's, am I satisfied with it? No, I'm not satisfied until we reach our goals. And, you know, again, we want to get this program, NCAA wins and, and consistency with being a, a tournament team. Uh, that's the fun part of it. You know, all the stuff that we're doing now, the behind-the-scenes work, you know, getting after it in these practices, the weight room, the conditioning sessions, that all hopefully will pay off to where you consistently be a, a, a tournament contender. So that's where we want to be. It's something where, you know, our goal is to win a championship. I wouldn't have taken this job if I didn't think we could get there. And, uh, and I'm excited about our future. I'm going to honestly say Coach was the best college coach I played for, man. Throughout my college career, Coach Holberg was the best coach I played for throughout my whole college career. You know, he's just such a, he's just a person that is, is understands the game at a high level. He's a person who's going to listen, you know, to like, hey, coach, I think we should run this play. They run a certain type of defense. You know, just playing for a coach like that who gives you tons of confidence on the court, who gives you tons of confidence off the court. You know, as a person as well, it's just a, it's an unbelievable feeling to have. And um, any game we went into, uh, I felt like you had my back. I felt like you had the guys back. And um, once you once you feel that from your coach, man, you you ready to run through a wall from him. And I felt like I was ready to do that for my for Coach Holberg. And uh, you know, I would do it again. You know, even if, I wish Coach could be my coach for all my basketball teams. You know, that's it. he's just a, such a great person. So much respect that I have for him. I mean, he treats people well. He's funny. Uh, as you get to know him, his sense of humor is great. But he, you talk about. He's the natural, great athlete, multi-sport athlete, great person, great academically, a good guy to be around, and I think a great hire for the Huskers, and I wish him nothing but the best. Fred is uh, a natural fit and uh, just stepped right in and uh, just as natural as could be. Uh, he's a wonderful individual. Uh, his wife, Carol, is super. Uh, their children, it's just a great family. and. As I mentioned, uh, just a, a real good fit at Nebraska. Fred is a competitor. I think that's uh, proven by his college record and, and his playing days and as a coach. An excellent recruiter. He's assembled a fabulous staff. And I think we have a, a roster going into this 2021 season uh, that has the uh, capability of being very successful. We could have a lot of fun and Fred's here for the long haul. He wants to build a program. He wants this to be his destination as well it should be for him uh, and his family and all of our coaches and their families. So the future looks bright. The proceeding has been a Husker Sports Network original featuring Fred. Hoiberg's path to Lincoln was narrated by Ben McLaughlin 
Executive producers were Josh Hilkeman, Tim Curran, and Austin Orman. Sound designed by Brett Whitty. Subscribe to Husker Sports Network podcast for more great Husker Sports original episodes presented by JTech Construction.